Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a former professional baseball player now speaking, coaching, and changing the world through helping others create meaningful connections. Please welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Charlie Ruiz. Charlie, how are we doing today? Man, I'm wonderful. Wonderful. It's, it's December. Holidays are here. Can't yeah. complain. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. One of the things we were just talking about, you know, so following uh, each other a little bit and kind of connecting. But uh, I know you like to run. Uh, I see you post some runs. I'm, I'm a runner. So let's start. Let's start. Did you get a run in today, or you still got that to do? It, I, still on the to do, um, and in preparation for my first marathon, which is probably why you've seen. Okay. Running as of recent because uh, it used to be a punishment. Now I'm starting to kind of enjoy it a bit. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I mean, you came from the baseball world where it's, you know, 90 feet at a time running, you know, kind of thing. So uh, moving to a marathon, that's pumped. Well, let's come back to that. But uh, to give our audience a, a, a little bit more about you, um, could you tell them a, a little bit about kind of, uh, I guess, what led you to the work you do now as a coach and part of your athletic journey and just kind of what? led you to what you're doing now and why we're talking. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So kind of an unconventional kind of path or story. Uh, part of the work that I do now, whether it's working with um, executives or now also working back into uh, working with athletes, whether it's Olympians some pro ball guys, some MLB coaches and, and kind of figuring out what this lane looks like now is the fact that I did have an unconventional path and the mindset that some of the mental performance work that I did to perform as an athlete yeah. all truly centered around me committing to the mindset work back in junior college. Mm -hmm. So now that I see that it also translates in business, it kind of just merges my world of communication and sport. And the mind is a big part of that. Yeah. Um, and I know one of the things that pops out when you, you look up and uh, we'll have Charlie's stuff linked up here is uh, tell us a little bit more about CLR connection. I think yeah. I'm fascinated by connection. I'd love to hear you kind of speak about that and and how you kind of bring that into your work. Yeah, I think when I when I was thinking about what I want to bring to, you know, the, the market, if you will, it really centers around connection. Uh, so as a leader, both as an individual and for teams, it's how can I make sure I'm connecting to my mind first, the most important muscle we have that we need to work on. And I got that from sport. And then how are we also connecting to our teams through the words right? The words and the way that we show up that also fits into actions. I think that's important, whether you're managing a team of two or a team of a hundred, right? The words and the actions matter. And then the identity thing, which is the third kind of pillar of my business. Yeah. It's, you got to know who you are. And part of knowing who you are is to embrace all facets of the wins and losses from your past to acknowledge where and how that shows up in today's world. So I do a lot of work with athletes in particular around identity and making sure that they still know who they are when they find their new career, you know, post. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think that, uh, that was something I struggled with. I think, you know, I had played college football, um, ended up in the the business side of major league baseball. I worked in the front office of the white Sox years ago. And, um, but yeah, it was a different, uh, I struggled with that kind of a few years removed of, man, where's my teammates at? You know, I hop on the train. There's no fist bumps, no good day, no strangers telling you congrats. Hey, great day. You know, and it became a very different world. And I think even um, 
I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about kind of those past knowing yourself. Cause I think that was a moment where I had to kind of go back and understand myself. I think even in a point I'm in my life right now, it's got to kind of come back and know yourself. And sometimes that takes that reflective piece because we get so moving in this world. Can you talk about maybe how we can slow down and reflect it and get to know ourselves better? How can we slow down and get to know ourselves? It's actually very timely. That's that's what's inspiring my marathon. And I haven't really told many people this, uh, but the marathon I'm running is in honor of that, particularly the identity space. Go back to where you were. Understand that your past and some of the moments and places and people uh, really have shaped who you are. Good or bad, it's to acknowledge that. Uh, so what inspired me to run this marathon that I've just mapped out around my neighborhood in San Leandro, Oakland area, is I'm going back to all the elementary schools, baseball fields, little league fields, high schools, junior college, and I'm running and I'm going to be stopping, um, not during the marathon, but as I've been training to acknowledge what that place did for me. Mm. Right? The years in my junior college, what did I learn there? Yeah. The one year of my high school as a freshman where I got cut and didn't even make the baseball team. It's it's acknowledging those spaces in places by actually going back there and asking yourself, like, how is this shaping up or showing up in my today's world? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's a huge part for an athlete to figure out. And sometimes it takes you 10 years. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it takes two or three people to help guide you through that process. Yeah, It's about, it's about giving yourself that space. And I don't, I don't think we do as athletes because we know we have to go forward. And we do. Yeah. Right. But there's also some gold there hanging out in the back of our past that we need to kind of pick up and take with us. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, you, know, you talk about also, you know, in that connection, I was talked to athletes, you know, gotta let's when we show we can care and we can connect, and then maybe we can get to that larger commitment we want from each other. Um, can you talk about, yeah, maybe what you see? I always talk about care, but what what proceeds and can help us create some really meaningful connections? How do we connect as an as, as an athlete, uh, mm-hmm. as a human? Mm-hmm. Well, first ask yourself, like, are you actually being present in that exact moment with that person that's in front of you? I think a lot of the times we have so much that we're thinking about, so much that we have to do, whether it's in school, work, right? You're raising a family, whatever it is, we have all this stuff to be able to do. Connection starts inward. Where am I at? Where are my feet? And how am I engaging in listening? Not to respond, but to understand, to create space for someone when you say, hey, how are you? And then they respond with, I'm good. Well, that's not that's not good, right? To be able to pause and say, what's really going on? Yeah. I think connection starts with, are you creating the space and truly present? And then from there, are you actually trying to you know connect the dots and understand where somebody's coming from? So you connect to them on a deeper level. A lot of that starts with listening. Listening is uh, really a gateway to so many other things. Um, and I think it's, you know, I even, I, you know, find out in our journeys, it's always a skill you got to keep working on. Um, you don't master it at any age. Um, I think we, it only gets more challenging with the things that vie for our attention and want our listening. Um, can you talk about as an athlete, maybe how, you know, how did you filter out some of the noise and distractions um from mm. from 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 seeping in how did i how did i filter how did i filter yeah. out the noise 
I think for me, it was getting very clear on, on not just my mission, but how I wanted to show up for, for myself and realizing that all of the other pieces, it sounds very selfish in a way uh, as a, as a, someone who was always of service, even back then, of there's a lot of noise out there. What do I need to do so I can perform at my best, which is going to allow me to be the best teammate, which is going to allow me to be the best friend, right? In today's world, colleague, I need to take care of me first. So am I very clear on my mission in the morning, my routines, my habits, my mindset, so that I can execute that and then help execute uh, with, with, with my team? Um, but if I'm trying to always do all the other things for everyone else and I'm not getting my reps in, it's never going to work out that way. Sure. There's, there's, there's this self-interest that any athlete should have. Uh, and that doesn't go away. At least I don't yeah. think it should. Yeah. And, um, too, with your, your, you know, past teammates, you had a lot of, I'm sure a lot of them, you know, where there's some connections, for you that really stood out, whether they maybe fulfilled a mentor role or, or you know, the, the relationship or whether there's some connections that you're really grateful for as you reflect back and maybe you're on these runs that they, they come up. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm preparing to definitely get a bit emotional uh, on how much of that I think has influenced how I show up today. I think the connection to my teammates and relationships I have is probably what I hold most dearest to to my heart when I think of the game and what it did for yeah. me, what it continues to do for me. Um, just off the top, right? It's it's some of those former teammates that are now coming back into my spaces, uh, collaborate like to collaborate or to be a partner with on a specific project. Whether it's you know you don't see it, but there's a you know a picture of one of my my old dear teammates who's a hero of mine, right? He, he passed away uh, to. Um, to cancer years back, but he was the eighth inning guy. I was the ninth inning guy and he was my brother. And a lot of how I show up and why I do what I do is because of how powerful that bond was. And we get that through connecting, especially in baseball, you know, when it's a three hour game, you're sitting in the bullpen for two and a half hours of it, listening and talking to your boys. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a great quote the other day. Someone said, I don't know where coach it came from, or but it said, you know, are you playing with your teammates? Are you playing for your teammates? And mm. which team would you want to be on? Man, man, I that's such such a good quote, uh, and and something to ponder, right? Yeah. Um, and to be able to play for, like, yeah, I'm with them, but like, there's something else that can ignite you when you're doing it for your guys. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that bond and that commitment is what will stand the test of time. Yeah, no doubt. It, it is that guy on the bench, right? Or that, that guy who isn't starting. Yeah. Who comes out and is the first to, to give you doubt when you're off the field. Yeah. Those are the ones. And on the reverse end, me too, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm pitching this eighth or ninth inning. <laughs> yeah. I better be there and be up for my starter and all my guys from start to finish. Cause this is a collective yeah. and being a good teammate is my number one rule. That's what I tell my daughter every day she goes to soccer. <laughs> can, can you talk about and a lot of you know, listeners are, are young student athletes and people that coach them. And, and, you know, you're talking about how, you know, this, this level of connection and, and relationships you had, you know, 
and, and the encouragement and even how it, you know, adapt meant something to you at the highest levels. But can you talk about, um, and maybe there's misunderstandings that young athletes don't understand, but how, from your experience, the difference is when you have these high connected teams versus teams that maybe aren't connected and what that creates as far as experience and performance. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how does, how does those small kind of details and important kind of be civilian yeah. culture? Yeah. Right. Sometimes these young athletes be like, does that really mean anything there? You know, that he's talking about a DAP and this, and he's a closer. Like, does he need that? <laughs> and the short answer is, is yes. Yeah. Well, when I think of the attention to details from a coach perspective, you're, you're a high school athlete, you're a college athlete. There's intentional curation of the poster that's in the office, right? You setting the team to go, you know, the A and B team, right? The black and gold team. That is all intentionally created. So details matter. And if I know, right, that I'm on one specific team, there may be a reason for that. So the details of being able to guide or support or mentor or help lift one of my guys, one of my teammates up, that's actually why I'm there on that team. Right. So it's in, so the details do matter. And the, the teammate piece, I think, is the one thing that is going to be this. It's, it's, it's the standing number one important thing that you can control yeah. is how to be a good teammate. Yeah. And that's your performance. Talk more about that. So I think even there's that underlying psychology, you know, that when you're, you know, service and you're helping others, you know, it's coming from a space, uh, you know, where sometimes I think student athletes, they like this rivalry, let's hate the other team and let's, and you don't perform well when you're operating from that space. It might be good for the posters and the media and the cheerleading, but talk about more about how performing, yeah. you know, from a optimum space where you're about other people helps you. I think the highest performers of of the world in sports, right? This takes me back to my junior college. It is that nameless, faceless. I remember that my junior college coach would always say nameless, faceless. And, you know, that come, I think it's come from other college coaches as well. In addition to him, I think it may have been like an Augie Garrido thing where nameless faces, it's, I don't care who is on the other end of the court, the field, right? we are playing a, a game against us. And if we are doing that and we can commit to handling what is right in front of us, including being a good teammate, no matter what happens at the end of the game, we've got to be good with it. But if we get caught into the noise of the other team, right, the chirping, the newspaper article, all the hype, we've already lost the game. Yeah. Control, right, the control of the controllables for me, how I operate and how I continue to operate, it's what's in front of me in this exact moment the competitor or the, the team on the other end, they're nameless and faceless. This is a you versus you game. And part of the you versus you game is being a good teammate. Uh, you know, another thing, you know, especially athletes as they grow and baseball is so centered around some statistics of uh, a failure, so to speak, for lack of better words. But uh, was there something that you used uh, as a tool to either reset after adversity or just reset after every pitch was there some sort of thing that you went to that gave you that kind of comfort to in your routine yes so what did i do to reset within my routine mm -hmm. uh, two prong i got introduced to sports psychology uh when i was in my junior college days right with my coach steve friend um back at chabot and hayward 
uh, California. And we would talk a lot about routine and consistency as far as kind of the prep and the practice and how it all translated into game. Uh, and then, and, and, and I loved it. I abided by it and it kind of helped me perform at a level that I didn't really realize I was performing at. And then I go to Long Beach State. And I find myself sitting in the dugout with like the the godfather of sports psychology, Ken Raviza. Yeah. And as I'm sitting there with Ken in the dugout, we're talking about being able to, you know, flush out, you know, the negative and focus on the red lights and the green lights and the signal lights that allow you to perform. Man, I love that concept. And I'm not a big guy. I'm, you know, 6'1", 185. You know, I used to say 6'2", with cleats <laughs> on. Um, but what allowed me to perform was that it was the signal lights yeah. i'm in control i'm in flow keep rocking my yellow routine and my red routine people would think you're crazy you're closer good right i'm in i'm talking to myself i'm using the positive affirmations i have these small words that i would use where i'd speak myself into existence of what i wanted to do that's what i was doing out there and then next thing you know you're getting you know signed in the 10th round yeah. i equate that to the work and the mindset work is part of it I'm glad you, uh, you're one of, uh, we've had about 150 guests on this show. And there's only a few that got some, you know, time with the Godfather Ken, as I, I would say, um, <laughs> and a couple of our early guests on this podcast. So, you know, a little bit about him, because as someone I always had a, a great respect for and still, I mean, you using signal lights that with student athletes still to help them understand, you know, where we're at, um, it, what other things do you remember about Ken that just had a an impact? You know, there's always sayings that people that are stuck in their head from Ken, especially if I'm guessing you sat in the dugout, you heard a lot of those. Yeah. What what sayings or when I think about Ken, what do I think about? Yeah. I think about presence more than anything. And I think just because it resonates with how I how my work shows up today, uh, being present as we kind of started my conversation today yeah. and how important that was for, for Ken, when we talk about, right. The, the most important place for you to be is the place where you're at at this moment, right. Be where your feet are like that saying to me really stands out with Ken, but also all of the other like, random revisa isms and like the, the, the voice and the, I say this endearingly, right. The, the weird kind of quirkiness that was yeah. him. When I think about that as a as a coach, as a as 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 a, as a doc, like as, as as the mind he had, there was this authentic part of Ken that I loved that I look at now, and I'm like, what made Ken so great? It was off his hot authenticity. It was the fact that this was his; he was owning it, and I still get texts from my my dirtbag teammates. Dirtbag's the name of the team, right, right, right. <laughs> we're we're throwing revisaisms out. Because you remember it, it was his. Yeah. It wasn't rinse and repeated and replicated in a way that didn't feel authentic to him. And I love that part of this work. We all know this. You can pick up a book and read all these skills. Yeah. But how do you make it yours and then connect that with the person that's across from you? For sure. I definitely remember, I think, uh, one of our guests, you know, doing his kin imitation of if you can't <laughs> control your performance, if you can't control yourself. That's it. Like, you know, like, I, and I never met him, but I've, I've heard, you know, been blessed to, you know, good. Get, like, oh, good. I was like, I heard, I did listen to a lot of them, you know, years ago. So, uh, but I guess, you know, that it, it's the image and, and presence that people remember about him. So mm -hmm. I'm glad you could bring, we could tangent on, on Ken a little bit. Um, you know, if you could go into a, a little DeLorean time machine and go back and visit, uh, you know, 16, 17 year old Charlie, 
out at one of those ball fields and you give a little piece of advice, what's the one thing you'd want to go back and maybe tell teenage self? Mm -hmm. What would I tell teenage self, you know, 16, 17 year old Charlie, maybe senior, junior, senior year, Charlie. To be patient and persistent. Mm. And I know that's a, it's what you call a, maybe a walking contradiction of, mm. of words, but that's what I love about it. Uh, you want it all now. Yeah. You want it all now. But there's this something along the lines of just doing some of those daily, daily tasks and being patient with them every single day that I think allows you to get to where you need to be at. And when you're young and you're six, junior, senior year, you want it all now. Yeah. Especially when it comes to sport, especially when it comes to some of these, these, these shiny objects that come to us. I'd say be patient. It'll come but just make sure that you're also being persistent in the right areas. And that also includes your relationships with your family, with your friends, with yourself. That I think we can get caught up in all the other noise that the persistence also comes with you taking care of yourself. I'd like that you, especially with our audience, emphasize the yourself there. Um, I, I find that a lot of, teenagers and college athletes the the world and the messaging they get is and you've probably experienced some of this too is that they need to have it figured out of who they exactly are when they're 16 17 22 um can you talk about a little bit about just the normalcy of that we're gonna evolve and it's okay to kind of you don't have to have yourself figured out at 17 and if you do that's probably not exactly who you're gonna be um but kids i feel feel this pressure they have to have it all figured out but then there's this other side that we're talking about that it's like no know yourself and evolve and grow and connect and grow can you talk just a little bit about kind of that that tough spot sometimes athletes are in trying to know yeah. themselves <laughs> yeah yeah how to know yourself how to get how to get to know yourself a bit outside of say sport uh you know just turned you know i'm 35 coming on 36 i still don't can't tell you i know exactly again walking the marathon right that's I'm, I'm gonna go sit with it so if i'm 16 17 years old and i'm told i need to have all this figured out if i were to look back and also offer them something it's the thing that you need to figure out is how to just be open enough to be uh, to, to learn, right? To understand maybe there is something else for me to kind of um, lean into or uh, embrace yeah. or understand uh, that that I don't know, and that, that that that's okay. Like it's okay to not understand. That's part of the whole mission. I think walking with an open heart, open hands, and seeing what what are the opportunities for me to get better. As long as the the mindset is like, how can I get better? And understand that this is a growth journey. That is the most important thing you can do as a 17-year-old and hell as a 40-year-old. With it, <laughs> for sure. Open, open art, open hand. Like that's yeah. that's that is the message. And yeah. from there, the relationships, the coaches, the skills, you'll start to say, okay, this is this is where I need to be putting my energy. But let me continue to be open and learn. Follow up. How can we do that? Be open. Maybe we're being vulnerable. Yeah. continue to do that when maybe we feel like it has 
burnt us or not served us in the past. <clears throat> but we know knowing ourselves, being true to ourselves, we still need to do that. But how do we keep doing that when I think as all of us at some time we feel a little burnt mm -hmm. by being open or vulnerable, especially in a sports environment. If you tell a coach, I'm feeling this way, and they're like, Oh, you're damaged goods, right? <laughs> like yeah. hard, hard. How how to continue to be open and vulnerable, uh, in, in especially in a sport in a, in a competitive, competitive way. By also seeking counsel outside of your immediate circle. Yeah. Yeah. It's not to find somebody that's going to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. Get diversity of thought that can then influence how you show up and maybe open your eyes into a different way to learn. Yeah. Um, I think that in sport, you know, you have your coaching staff, you might have your dad, your mom, your uncle. They they obviously love you, you know, uh, to where they're going to give you maybe one type of advice or feedback. Sure. But if I can go seek counsel and and talk to a friend or a different sport, somebody outside of my, I might learn something new. And if it means that is somebody that I can go be vulnerable to and just tell them unbiased opinion, they don't even know my sport, but they listen to me, they create space. That's a great way to go do it where it may not burn you but it's still giving you the chance to kind of speak, speak it into existence and learn from yeah. it. Love it. Yeah. Uh, was there a coach that sticks out that had uh, a greater impact on you than maybe some others in some way? I know we brought up dugout Ken, but uh, was there another coach in your career that kind of, you know, had a good impact on you as a human? Yeah, I think two, I think of two coaches, uh, one being my junior college uh, head coach, Steve friend I mentioned him earlier. Um, at the time, right, he will, you know, he would he would ride us, and he had his methods and his his approach. He had been at the junior college for a couple of decades. Uh, when I look at what he was introducing to me and us, it was obviously to become men in a different way, but it was that emphasis of the mind and the sports psychology side of it. Uh, I, I didn't look at that until later to really say, wait a second. Now I see what he was doing and I still don't know, but I just have such an affinity to say the number one thing is that I know that he had my back. I could pick up the phone and call him right now, right? My little brother has. And I think that is the definition of a coach. It's not transactional, it's transformational. And we know that by me being able to pick up the phone 15, 20 years later and call him and know that he'll respond. That's beautiful. For sure. That's the best. <laughs> and I feel the same way with my... Uh, pitching coach for the Rockies. He's now the actually pitching coach for the Rockies, Daryl Scott. Um, when I signed for my first year of pro ball, he was our pitching coach. The best part about D Scott is that I walk in and he's like, look, you know, you sign in the 10th round, you've got a skill set. I want you to leverage that skill set. I'll guide, I'll, I'll shift. You got me when you need me, but I trust you. Go execute, go do your thing. Mm. To me, when you're ready, I'm observing first. And I love that part of it mm. because when I was ready to go to him, he was quite literally my archetype too. Right-handed pitcher, 80 to 90 split, not going to overpower you, but you're going to throw a strike and you're going to get guys out. Yeah, I went to him and he became a mentor and I still talk to him. I, I hold him in such a high regard for how he shows up for his guys, even in today's, today's game. Okay.
Yeah, I think that's, you know, such a sometimes contradiction what a lot of maybe young high school baseball coaches would approach they would take. You know, they always sometimes want to teach so fast, um, you know, instead of, you know, observe and then teach. Um, that's it. And I think that's, uh, uh, yeah, it's good for coaches to hear. Sometimes it's okay to just observe and then allow some space and then create that teaching opportunity that's probably going to be a bit more enriched. Absolutely. Allow you to find and meet them where they need to be. And it's the same working with executives when you get later. <laughs> it's the same. We're, we're, we're speaking the same language. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> one last question that we, we wind down here. Um, you know, I love, I feel your your energy and passion and, and man, I just uh, love how much you emphasize getting to know yourself and the importance of that and how that translates to external being a great teammate. Um, but in your work and what you're doing now with executives, athletes and everything um where do you find the most joy in your work where do i find the most joy i think in that in that text message uh or that or that update that they get feedback or recognition from somebody else based on the work that they've done mm -hmm. Love right. Um, I think that is it's not right because it's not me. This is a big thing that I struggle with. Is in corporate or in tech, they'll say, what is some ROI? Like, what, what are your proof? points?" And I'm like, I, I, I struggle with being able to say this person sold this or achieved this because of me. They achieved it because of them. So when they, when I get a text message from a call from somebody that I'm working with, I got a text message from a client that it's like, Hey, I know we work in all of this communication and all of these performance and, and calendaring and time blocking through this process, he ended up locking in and committing to running down a hundred pounds. Awesome. Right. And, and then I say, what was your biggest win? What was the unexpected win? He was like, well, me going back to visit my parents and then visiting my parents and the landlord coming in and introducing himself to me as if he had no idea who I was. <laughs> right. It's those stories of them getting the recognition that they damn well deserve from somebody else because they put in the work. I love getting those uh, those those text messages. <laughs>